Welcome to Mindfully Healing, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Micheline Malouf, a trauma-informed and trained therapist. And I'm Nadia Desi, a registered social worker and psychotherapist. We are here to guide you through the connection between your mind and body to help you develop a deeper understanding of yourself. Join us on each episode as we navigate each topic by posing questions to our mind and then having deep conversations with each other, ourselves, and special guests to help us come full circle and answer each question. This season, we discuss trauma, trauma responses, attachment, and relationships. In each episode, we provide you with resources and tools to begin to heal your inner child, set boundaries, and help you along your journey of healing. Dear mind, why have I always been told I'm so mature for my age and why can I not remember my childhood? Welcome back to Mindfully Healing. I'm Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi. And today we are going to be talking all about parentification. Yes. So let's start with defining what parentification is in case you've never heard of it. So parentification is basically a role reversal between your parent and your child. So this is where the child is required to take care of the parent, either emotionally or physically, or maybe even support or take care of family members or siblings, rather than receiving that emotional support. And usually a parentified child is exposed to certain issues that they don't fully understand at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Like what kind of issues? Financial issues, housekeeping issues, divorce, addiction, caretaking. caretaking. Yeah. So many different things. Yeah. So I think what's important to recognize from like an attachment based perspective is that we all need a secure base in order to thrive and survive and develop appropriately and meet the milestones. So in order to receive that secure base that allows us to flourish and develop appropriately, we need to have caregivers that are accessible, responsive, and engaged. And when we are parentified children, we're not really getting any of those needs met. So what ends up happening is we don't feel safe to go out and explore and figure ourselves out. We don't learn what we really like, what we really need. We don't understand um how to just be children. So it doesn't feel safe to be a child. And so this can happen when a parent is like not accessible um, for purposeful reasons or not on purpose. So when things happen. I think it's important to add that in at the beginning of the episode too. Parentification is usually not an intentional form of abuse or neglect. It can be, but for the most part, the parents or the guardians aren't intentionally trying to harm their child. Sometimes it's life circumstances. Sometimes they don't realize they're doing it, but it's, it's a different form, I would say, but it's still valid to consider it a form of neglect in certain circumstances. Yeah. I think Also, something that I really like to bring up in terms of parentification is like people who feel behind in life. And I know we'll get to this a little bit later, but if you're somebody who does feel behind in life compared to other people your age, a lot of the time parentification takes part because like Micheline mentioned, you're trying to find security and you're trying to make sure that you're okay and you're not at the same stage as your peers because they're able to develop and grow in ways that you're not because you have all these responsibilities whether it's physical or emotional for your parent so feeling behind is completely valid if you've experienced parentification yeah absolutely and I think the the reasoning for that is your nervous system is constantly on alert trying to survive like what you just said and so if your parents aren't able to or aren't for whatever other reason, giving you the connection, the engagement and the responsiveness that you need, then what you look for as a child who needs to get their needs met is how do I make sure I'm paid attention to so that I do not die? How do I make sure that I maintain the okayness in the home Mm -hmm. so feel more stressed. And so all of your attention turns away from meeting important milestones and turns towards survival and maintaining the peace at home. Yeah. I like that you said survival, because I think that's a huge piece in this puzzle is children who are parentified are often 
or often develop certain responses that sometimes we miss. Sometimes we think that they're personality traits, but the reason that these come about is because we were just trying to focus on survival, which we'll get to more. Micheline and I have talked about kind of what parentification is, and we gave some examples, but the way to break it down is like two different sections. There's instrumental parentification and there's emotional parentification. So let's start with instrumental. Can you give kind of an idea of what that is? Yeah. So first I want to say that, like we mentioned earlier, that parentification can happen in homes of abuse and neglect. I don't want to dismiss that. It can be intentional, but a lot of times it's not intentional and it can happen specifically this type, the instrumental parentification can really happen in homes um, of, of diverse cultures and immigrants where there are little or few resources. And so the children kind of have to take an active role in helping the parents out because the children are going to school, they're learning, they speak better English. And so they end up having to kind of take on these roles. And some some examples of this could be like paying the bills. So if a bill comes in the mail and the parent doesn't really understand how to read the bill or what where to go to pay the bill, they can depend on the child to kind of take over that responsibility. It can look like cooking or cleaning or shopping. So in various cultures, if you are born a female, then you are automatically given these responsibilities of cooking and cleaning and maybe taking care of your siblings. And it's an expectation. So no matter how old you are, as long as you can do it, once they teach you how to do it, there's that need to take on that responsibility. Um, in other cases, it could be taking care of the siblings and other family members because there is no one else around to take care of them. And maybe you were the oldest sibling. And so that responsibility naturally fell on you. So it could look like, you know, putting them to bed, helping them with their homework, putting them, um, making sure that their clothes are clean, making sure that they're dressed appropriately for the weather, protecting them from emotional struggles because of the home or because of what they're going through at school. Um, so they, this can happen for, again, various reasons. It could be because, you know, the parents um, aren't capable for whatever reason, aren't in the home enough. Maybe they're working a lot or because there's abuse in the home. And so the oldest child or the quote unquote responsible child, whoever has taken on that role has developed this need to make sure everybody else around them is okay. I think so. like you mentioned, diverse populations really comes into this same with like poverty, people in low-income homes. This is what we mean by unintentional parentification and unintentional neglect because maybe one parent is working all the time to make ends meet. So now this child has to take on these responsibilities because there's no other option. So the parent isn't intentionally trying to parentify the child, but in this household, those are the circumstances and there's no other option. Another big thing with instrumental parentification is if your parent is... Um, somebody who has a dependency on alcohol or drugs. And as a child, you feel like you have the responsibility to make sure they're not drinking, to make sure they're sober, to make sure they're able to drive you and your siblings to school. Like really taking care of these basic needs is what instrumental parentification is. Yeah. And, and sometimes actually instrumental parentification ends up in more positive traits in the future um, mm -hmm. that, not not saying like this is not going to result in trauma or anything like that, but because the kids learn so early on how to do all of this stuff, they tend to have an easier time adapting later on in life to adulthood um, in this way and just like the logistical way. So it can have a positive in impact in that way, but it can have negative impacts, which we'll talk about later as well. Um, but this one, if because the, the second type of parentification that we're going to talk about is emotional. And so the instrumental one is, again, like very chores oriented. They're not chores, but they're like very um, task oriented. Like you have to do things, you have to take care of the home. And um, it's it's not like you have to keep your room clean. It's like you have to maintain a household as an adult would. So it's very it's very important to differentiate that it's not like giving your children chores. Yes. I want to mention that we are big. Well, I'm a fan of chores. I think everybody should have certain responsibilities in the home to teach life skills, but chores should be appropriate to age. 
Absolutely. Age appropriateness. Age appropriateness chores. Yes. It's not yeah. the same thing. If you're a parent listening, maybe getting anxious thinking, oh my gosh, my child has these responsibilities. No, that's not a bad thing. It's when they need to take care of all the basic needs in the home or majority or really heavy ones that they don't even have the brain development to fully understand yet. And it takes away from the childhood. Yeah, exactly. They don't have those hobbies. They don't have time with their friends. They're not doing their homework. Instead, their focus is on maintaining the house. Mm -hmm. So going back to like the cultural aspect of it. So um, children that come from households of immigrants or where English isn't the primary language, they're often found, you know, translating things for their parents or not having like the resources that they need. Like if they have siblings and something's going on in school, it's the child that is kind of like mediating between the parent and the teacher's and helping siblings with homework and doing all of that stuff. So I think it's really important to, um, you know, because I think a lot of people will identify with this and be like, but my parents were so great. And so the reason I keep highlighting this is because it doesn't have to be intentional and you can still have the traumatization from it, even if it wasn't intentional. So if you grew up in an immigrant household or in a household where there's low um, resources, not so many um, resources around you, then it can be um, something that you still struggled with. So um, very important to to talk about. But the second type of parentification is called emotional parentification. And this one is basically when the children take care of the parents' emotional needs. So can you, do you know some examples of this? Yeah, of course. So it'll be when a parent will go to a child and ask the child for advice in their personal life. Or when the parent or guardian goes to the child and depends on that child to make them feel better. So going to your child being like, I'm so sad, and then not telling them age appropriate reasons why you're so sad. So maybe you're bringing your personal issues with your partner or your friends or your work that the child does not once again have that brain development to understand, nor should that responsibility be on them. So they feel like I need to cheer up my mom, or my mom's going to come home anxious. So I need to make sure things are okay to make sure that she doesn't get even more anxious. So it's really when the child feels that responsibility for the parent's emotions. Um, another thing is if the child is the mediator in between family members, mo most of the times this would be between two partners and the child feels like they're in the middle and needs to defend one or the other or help come to solutions when they're probably too young for that and that's not their responsibility. And then listening to a parent talk about their problems, which I kind of mentioned, um, but going more deep into that would be financial relationships and just other personal struggles. Yeah, those are all very important. And you mentioned again, the age appropriateness, because yeah. I see parents, and I'm sure you do too, that go to the complete opposite extreme, which is like, I'm never going to show my kids that I struggle at all. So I'm never going to talk about my problems in front of them. I'm never going to cry in front of them. I'm never going to ask them to, to help me feel better. Or And, and I, I want to really say that that is not necessary. Actually, it's very healthy for parents and kids to talk about healthy age-appropriate emotions, talking about grief and sadness, and even mentioning some of the things that we all go through as humans so that the kid learns that one, emotions are okay to feel, two, that we can get through them, and three, how to get through them in a healthy manner, right? Right. So, But there's a difference between mom's really sad today because I have a lot of stress at work and this and that, but I'm going to be okay. Um, let's go do this thing that makes me feel better. I'm going to go work out because this makes me feel better. I'm going to watch a movie or whatever the coping skill is and kind of modeling and demonstrating healthy coping versus mom and dad are in a fight and mm -hmm. can you your dad did this and he never does anything right. And what do you think I should do? Exactly. And there's other people like, of course, it's important to talk about those things, but don't have your kids be the ones that you talk about them to. I was going to ask you, like, how do you different differentiate between what's appropriate and what's not? But I think just the way to do that is to take into consideration the child's age and like what they should be hearing from their parents, because even personally at almost 30 years old, I don't want to hear about my parents' arguments. I don't think I need to hear about that. I don't think as a child, I should be the one. So I think that's kind of like a line that really shouldn't be crossed for a child at any point. I agree because a lot of times when parents, like we talked about parents 
parentifying their children unintentionally. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times a parent will say something like, my daughter's going to be my best friend, or, you know, my son's going to be my best friend. Like we're, they, I tell her everything. And although I think there is something that's really powerful about having a really close relationship with your uh, daughter or son or your child, there needs to be a line. They are not your friend. Your child can never feel like your friend. They can never be the one that you go to for everything. Like there needs to be some sort of boundary and some sort of line because as children, whenever there's something wrong and it's not age appropriate and you you go tell them that something is wrong and it's not age appropriate, they're not ready to hear it. They don't fully understand it. They're automatically going to blame themselves for that thing. And they're going to automatically feel the sense of responsibility to fix this thing. Yes. Right. It's so true. Quote, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what the quote was, but it's almost like as a child, it's easy for you to believe that you're unlovable than it is to believe that they weren't capable. Your parents weren't capable of loving you the way you deserve to be loved. And I think it's the same thing that we can transfer here to parentification. It's easier to believe that you're the problem. You're the one that's the responsibility instead of believing like, Hey, my parents are doing something wrong here. So you put so much pressure on yourself to live up to those expectations and show up and maintain safety. Cause that's, you know, what your nervous system is telling you to do instead of recognizing, hey, my parents in the wrong here. This is not on me. Mm, powerful. I love that quote. I mean, think about it as adults, like how difficult it is for us already when a friend or a coworker or anyone that we know comes to us with a problem. What's our initial instinct? Isn't it solve a fix? problem? Yeah. Yeah. To solve that problem. Like it takes a lot of strength to be able to sit and listen and separate what's going on from ourselves, we automatically as humans feel this intense need to fix as a child with parents that is so much stronger. The child never really understands that it's not about them. And if it's not about them and they do have the grasp to understand that it's not about them, if they cannot solve that issue that they then blame themselves that they couldn't fix that issue for you. And that lives on for years to come. I know we touched on this earlier, but I want to, you know, dig deeper into some of the reasons that um, parentification can happen in an unintentional way. So here are some unintentional reasons that people can be parentified. Number one is immigration, right? So we talked about that briefly, all the ways that that could happen. Um, Two, a chronically ill parent. I don't think there is a lot of talk about how having a parent out there that is chronically ill um, and and having to take care of that parent can cause parentification. So maybe you are responsible for taking care of your parent physically, maybe helping them out in a lot more than you should have. Maybe there wasn't an adult caregiver around. Maybe it was a single parent. Maybe they were diagnosed with a terminal illness or a chronic illness and now you were as the child that, you know, was wanted mom or dad to be okay. You felt this responsibility to help them, right? Yeah. I want to add on to the chronically ill parents. I think it can also come up when there is a chronically ill sibling Mm -hmm. and that sibling is the one getting once again, unintentionally, most of the attention from the parents and the child feels like, okay, I want to make sure that everything's okay for everyone else. So I'm going to make sure the house is in order. I'm going to make sure I don't show my emotions because I don't want to make this even more stressful for them. You really go into like that survival mode. So if you have a chronically ill parent or if you have a chronically ill or an ill sibling where most of the attention is towards that sibling. Yeah. And actually I want to add to that because if you have a sibling that is require special needs, like mm-hmm. if they have um, high, like autism or they have a mental health disorder or a physical disorder, a lot of times um, the child that is parentified becomes this like perfect golden child that feels like they have to do everything right to fly under the radar and not cause any like ruffles. And so they end up you know, taking care of everything and making sure that parents are okay and the siblings okay so that they don't have needs at all because that need that they might have may cause even more turmoil. So it doesn't just have to be chronic illness. It could be a a special need. It could be a mental health issue. It could be um, so many different things where the other sibling requires more attention. 
Yeah. The amount that that comes up in therapy, I would say is probably at least personally in my practice more than any of the other ones. And I think like you mentioned, and I don't want to say an untreated mental health disorder, but if your sibling is struggling with their mental health, I think that's a huge factor in one child being parentified where the other child isn't. Exactly. And like this, we've talked about it before and we'll talk about it again, but it leads to once again, not knowing who you are and not being in tune with your emotions. Mm-hmm. You suppress them so much that you almost numb out all the good and all the bad. So eventually you get to a point of like, I don't know what I'm feeling and I don't know how to identify it. I'm confused. And I think yeah. that's something we don't talk about enough. Yeah. And then in that case as well, it's like the parents aren't so much focused on your achievements and accomplishments so much. So you keep trying to achieve and achieve and achieve higher level at higher levels to get more of that attention. And it just becomes like part of like who you are. Like, this is how I get my attention. At least like my parents are finally happy because something good happened. So you begin to attach like success and, you know, achievement on your self-worth. So we'll talk about a little bit more about like how that shows up in adulthood and later in the episode, but to keep going another unintentional, uh, parentification, uh, to keep going another way that we can be parentified unintentionally is if we have single parents and that parent, one of the the parent that's raising us is constantly busy at work and trying to make ends meet. And so Mm -hmm. they depend on the quote unquote responsible child to take care of everything else. Yeah. And on top of that is with single parents is if a parent or guardian passed away and the other parent is having a really difficult time coping or, you know, going through all the action that takes place after somebody passes away and the child ends up having to almost, I don't want to say fend for themselves because that sounds insensitive, but the child ends up having to take care of big responsibilities. And same thing with loss of a, loss of a sibling. I mean, I've seen this personally where a parent loses a child and it's just impossible for them to get back to how things used to be. And then the other children kind of have to step up and take over those responsibilities. Oh my gosh, that's such a powerful one because with loss of a child, the surviving child often has a lot of pressure from the parent to meet those emotional needs because I've seen it so often come up where the parent to saying to the surviving child, like you're all I have left, like never leave me. You can never go away and do other things. You always have to be close to me. I need you. And so it's so for for a child, it's so scary to hear those things because not scary. And like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be around my parent, but the amount of responsibility that that child might feel And all the dreams that they might assume they can no longer do because they can never leave the parent becomes overwhelming. Yeah, that actually gives me goosebumps because I feel like that's such an unfortunate circumstance for everybody in that situation. Whereas the parent is just like trying to attach on to the child because of the loss and the child is feeling stuck. That's a really challenging one. Yeah, because the parent is also like that grief is so painful, so powerful that they're like, I literally cannot lose you anymore. Like I cannot lose you. I could already not lose you before, but now I really can't lose you. Like what will happen to me if I lose you? And even if it comes from like a really good attached, loving place of wanting your other child to be safe and protected and to be around you and live a long, meaningful life, it can be so intense for the child to hear those words. Right. Because you don't want to let your parent down after that, after the loss that you both just had. Yeah. Yeah. Children that have lost a sibling feel such a huge responsibility for their parent um, for, for many years. Um, A lot of times forever, unless they actively work on, you know, being able to detach and separate those things, like loving your parent versus living for your parent. Right. And like doing that while grief is still present is a a huge challenge. Absolutely. For sure. So is there anything that you can think of that would be an intentional form of parentification? Yes. So there's parents that have children because they want something out of them. Hmm. Have you not heard of like parents say, I'm going to have a kid so that they can take care of me when I grow up. So (laughs) <laughs> or 
I, I can't wait to have children because then they can take care of all the chores. Um, there are people that joke around about that. We know it's all like a joke, but then there are people that do genuinely have kids because they believe that they are going to somehow take care of them. And so it starts off at an early age. They start to ingrain that message in their children early on. And this actually happens a lot more culturally speaking in other like cultures where, um, you know, the children are seen as like an extension of the family and are seen as like, you're, you're just another um, tool that I have so that my life can continue. And they expect that then those kids' children will do the same for them. So it's like a cultural, a culturally accepted thing um, in other parts of the world where, you know, your child, your child doesn't, it's not for them, it's for you. So hmm. there are parents that will say, you need to get a job doing this, this or that, because you need to take care of me, I need to stop working at this age. And that messaging starts very early on. And then that child feels the responsibility right away of like, this is what I'm working towards. This is my future. Yes. It happens a lot in my culture. It happens a lot in Asian culture. There's a lot of, you know, talk about what the roles of the children are and the the debt that they owe to their parents. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're here. I gave you life and your job because I gave you life is to then give me financial security in the future or to give me grandchildren or to give me whatever the, the the agreement, I guess, within the family is. This is what we mean when we say working towards ending the cycle of generational trauma, because if you are from a background where this is happening and then you put an end to it, and I don't mean put an end by not having children, if, if that's what you want, of course, but also by having children for the right reasons and having them intentionally to raise them and be part of the family and, you know, have that proper family dynamic yeah. instead of ex having those expectations. Yeah. And then there's also to talk about another example, and this one can kind of fall in the middle of like intentional or unintentional. It's if you're having, if your parents are getting divorced and they're pinning you mm. against each other, um, like if let's say, one the parent got pregnant be, to keep the other person sometimes it's like i'm going to get pregnant i'm going to have a baby this will keep this person in my life so already you're coming into the world as an, an I, I hate to say it this way but quote unquote like an object to them right so that can create and a lot of times the parents will tell the tell the kids that like i never wanted to have you you were an accident or i you know this this is just what happened and then they use you it's like to, to pin you against the other person. So you become this like middle man pawn, mm. you know, mom is telling you a, B and C about dad and why they're such a horrible person. And dad's telling you a, B and C about mom and why they're such a horrible person. And you're sitting here trying to mediate. So it could be when I say it could be intentional or unintentional. It's because I understand that sometimes parents do that unintentionally, not knowing what harm it can cause to the children, but it is intentional because you are putting your child in that role. Yeah. And once again, you're not giving them age appropriate information. Well, depending on how old they are, but regardless, that shouldn't be something that the child has to feel responsible for. And you're hearing yeah. sides and the, the kid doesn't know what's true or what's not and whose side to take and who to protect and how to stay safe. It's just a cycle of a disaster. So once again, recommendation, if you are going through a divorce, trying your hardest to co-parent in a way that doesn't involve bringing your partner down in front of them. Exactly. Yeah. So the parentification like process from a child, when they begin to exhibit these behaviors of caretaking um, or, you know, doing everything to maintain the peace in the household, as we mentioned earlier, it is a form of survival. It's, it's a form to, to survive because if they didn't do that, then bad things can happen. Right. Like if they didn't make dinner that night and instead went to go play with their friends, nobody in their family would have dinner and they would all go to bed hungry and everyone would be upset. Like it would just once again, be a whole cycle. So they don't have that opportunity to go play with their friends. They have that responsibility to make dinner. Right. If I don't tend to mom's needs, mm -hmm. she will hurt us. She will not pay attention to us. She will not hug us. She will not take us to school. She'll start drinking again. 
Like so many different things that can come Mm -hmm. up. Sure. So it's like, if A, then B, therefore I have to do this. To prevent it because it's Mm -hmm. my responsibility. Exactly. You can fill in the blank with like anything there. Especially anything we've already mentioned Mm -hmm. that can come in. So what are some of the signs that we can look for um, to know if a child is being parentified? Yeah. So children exhibit certain behaviors. Um, It's obviously... Uh, hard to say exactly like this means that they're being parentified uh, because so many things look similar, but here are some things to kind of like start questioning. Um, So one, it could be that children seem older and wiser beyond their years. So if you hear somebody, this is something common that we hear, oh my gosh, like she's only five, she could be 10. She's so wise or beyond her years. So that could be, I'm not saying it's always a red flag. You know, we're all made differently. We all have different personalities, but that is something that sometimes we want, we would want to look at like, why? Yeah. Why are they so mature? Why do they have all these, why do they know all these behaviors that someone their age shouldn't even have to be focusing on or shouldn't even have to pay attention to? Right. They might exhibit like high levels of anxiety, distress, um, depression. Yeah. High levels anxiety makes sense too, because they, I know we're saying this a lot, but they have such big responsibility on their shoulders. That's Mm -hmm. like solely dependent on them. Maybe their siblings as well, but like what we just mentioned, if they don't do something, something bad might happen. So it's on them to make sure. Yeah. I mean, have, have you ever been in a relationship where the other person's moods impacted your whole day? And if they didn't get what they needed, or if they were in a bad mood or something happened, then your whole day was impacted as well because of the way that, that they behaved. So that naturally will give you higher levels of anxiety because you're always on alert. You're always in fight or flight because you have to be hyper vigilant to make sure that you know what your next move is. That I was going to say that I remember, I don't know if it was, I don't remember what the situation was. I think maybe I posted it or you posted it. I don't know, but somebody posted like how hearing the footsteps of your parent and knowing what that is can be a response from parentification or can be a response from trauma. And a lot of people in the comment section were saying like, no, that's just like basic skills. You can tell if somebody stomps in that they're mad or if somebody tiptoes in that maybe they're happy. And the reason that this can sometimes be a response to trauma is because the hypervigilance. It's if my mom's coming in anxious, that means that I have the responsibility to take care of her or she's going to yell at me or something bad's going to happen. My mom comes in lethargic, then it's up to me to care for the household the rest of the night. So this is also what we mean of like paying attention to the in depths of what a trauma response is. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I can tell that my mom's stomping in that she's mad. No, that's not a trauma response. A trauma response is if there's hypervigilance attached to it and I'm concerned for my safety. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the word codependency so much, but if it does become like a codependent kind of thing where it's like, my whole day is impacted by you and there's no separation between me and you. If you're anxious, I'm anxious. If you're sad, I'm sad. If you do this, I have to do this. There is no separation that is different than understanding that dad is mad because he walked in angry, but it doesn't impact you so much because you're not required to do anything about it. Oh, dad's angry today. I hope he's okay. I hope he's better tomorrow. Or like not, I mean, ideally it wouldn't even be knowing that. Mm -hmm. Well, depends on the age, but I hope he's okay tomorrow instead of like, oh, dad's angry. Now my whole night's ruined. Exactly. So like, how does your parents' mood or situation impact your day? So a very good sign is if a child is really concerned with how their parents' mood is, that's another sign because yes, parents have moods, things happen. But a parentified child will be impacted so much more by a parent's mood than a child that may just not like that their parent is sad, but they know that their day can still go okay. Yeah. And it's not their responsibility to change that. Yes, exactly. So we do see a lot of like another symptom um, that we see a lot with uh, parentified children early on is depression and suicidal ideation. And it can show up in the forms of self-harming behaviors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, also lack of age appropriate things for the child, lack of interest, sorry, in age appropriate things. So hobbies, 
TV shows, video games, sports, whatever it may be, the child just doesn't want to engage. Right. No interest. Like they may not even want to engage with children their own age. Mm -hmm. They might feel more comfortable engaging with older people and people that are, you know, beyond their years. They don't have that drive to play. They don't know how to play. Actually, that's a really good point. Like feeling like you connect more with adults as a child. Yeah. Feeling like you can't get on level of a child and like feeling almost more mature than them in a way that you can't laugh at what they're laughing at. You don't find it funny because you didn't get that time to explore and learn for sure. Um, And another uh, sign to look out for, I would say, is children that seem overly concerned with getting things right, feeling Mm -hmm. like they need to do things perfectly and getting really anxious, sad, or upset if they don't. Yes, exactly. Because not getting it right means you're in trouble. Not getting it right means no one eats. Not getting it right means mom or dad or caregiver is in a bad mood and then it impacts you, your siblings, your night. So being overly concerned, even for things that don't seem like that they're that big of a deal. So it could be things at school, like getting one answer wrong because they're so used to being that hyper vigilant. like I need to get this right at home when they show up at school or in their friends' houses or with their friends and they get something wrong, they might panic. Yeah, that's a great point. And also like similar to that is even as a child feeling like you have to take care of everybody just because at home you feel like you have to take care of everyone. So your friend, if your friend gets hurt, you feel responsible. If your friend is anxious, you feel responsible. Like all these traits are transferring from your personal life to your school life, your play life, everything else. Exactly. So again, just to make it clear, just because you see a child that has some of these behaviors, it doesn't mean that they're being parentified. It's very important to take things as a whole and see the overall picture. We're not giving this information so that you can say, go diagnose everybody, but it's really just to be aware and to look out for if they're exhibiting many of these behaviors, it might be a red flag. Absolutely. And something we didn't mention is that parentification is not a diagnosis. Right. It's nothing to diagnose yourself with or your children with. It's just something that can lead to other mental health issues like CPTSD, anxiety, trauma, but it's not something that like you need to get an assessment for. Exactly. Which was really the next point that we wanted to talk about, like the long-term impacts of being a parentified child can lead in mental health disorders. So a large portion of people diagnosed with complex PTSD will identify with being parentified in some way. So that is a large diagnosis. If you don't know what CPTSD is, go listen to our first like six episodes. They're all about this. They talk in detail about these symptoms and the ACEs study and all of this stuff. So you can kind of get an idea of what CPTSD is and how it differs from PTSD. Um, They can also have higher levels of anxiety and depression. We see a lot of substance use disorders, and obviously some more serious mental health disorders like borderline personality disorders and, you know, suicidality and all of that. Yeah. I would also add like maybe even physical health challenges um, because responsibility and time and effort was spent so much at home that they did. Some people weren't able to have their yearly or monthly appointments for their doctors and their dentists. So they might develop serious health challenges when they're adults and they are able to have these appointments. Yeah, exactly. So is this trauma? It's, I mean, if you listen to all our other episodes, you know that trauma is relative and it really depends on the impact that you had from the situation. I do think it can be a form of abuse and neglect. And I do think that it can lead, like you said, to CPTSD. Um, It's definitely a form of relational trauma. And if you don't know what that is, it's when um, a bond between a parent and a child is disru- disrupted or broken, and the development between the two isn't at a healthy state. And this causes a child to have a lot of chronic stress because they feel like they're not safe and they don't have that protection that they need. So this consistently over time, I definitely think can contribute to CPTSD um, in itself. I mean, it's kind of up in the air. I think it depends on, like we said, how it impacts you. It's such a good point you make because 
it's attachment trauma, relational trauma, attachment trauma. We had an episode with Patricia Lamas talking about the attachment style and another episode talking about parenting styles with Nabil Zafir. And both of those episodes go into detail about how the bond between the child and the parent lead to how we relate to the world and others in the future. And going back to what I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, a parent does need to be that secure base for the child in order for the child to thrive and develop appropriately. If the that is disrupted in any way, whether it's intentional or not intentional, that it hinders that child's development and they will then struggle with relational issues in the future and it will cause a lot of symptoms, whether or not they end up with a diagnosable mental health condition or not. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's such an important part. And I, once again, I think it brings us to our next point. We have a whole episode once again on trauma responses, but I want to talk about certain responses or quote unquote personality trait traits that an adult might experience from being a parentified child. Yes. So we we put like personality traits and like air quotes because, you know, people are just like, well, is it your personality or is it your trauma? I mean, how does your personality develop? Right. So I think like the nature versus nurture debate as well. Exactly. So here are some very common quote unquote personality traits or symptoms that happen that are common amongst people who are parentified. So number one is difficulty with balanced relationships, which we were just talking about and why. So because you are constantly used to caretaking as a child, you might find yourself in a caretaker role in your adult relationships, even if your partner or friends don't necessarily require caretaking. You might be jumping right away at the opportunity to help and take care of them, and you assume all responsibility uh, in that regard. And so because of that, you tend to put your needs aside, you lack boundaries, you struggle with saying no, you struggle with making decisions because your decisions are so dependent on what other people want because in the past not having people's needs met meant danger for you so you also might struggle with having or allowing your partner to make decisions because you don't trust that they could do it right because your parents didn't get it right and they dependent dependent depended on you so it's very uh, challenging for you to allow others and kind of relinquish control Um, And you have a lot of difficulty accepting help because that doesn't make sense to you. Like you don't need help. You've never needed help. So like needing help makes you feel weak and uncomfortable. Yeah. There's almost a sense of like hyper-independence and not only feels weak and uncomfortable, but also you just think people will let you down anyways. Mm -hmm. No one would try to accept that help from my family. They would maybe give it to me one day and not give it to me the next. So it causes me even more anxiety to ask for help, or they wouldn't give me that help at all. And I learned from a young age that I can't trust other people, even my partner. So I'm just going to trust myself. Yes. The hyper-independence, I feel like so many people can relate to. Yeah. And once again, it's not solely for, from parentification. It can come from different types of trauma, but it is a big one we see connected to other things as well. Um, The next really big one, we kind of mentioned it before, is feeling like you don't really know who you are as an adult. Because from such a young age, you didn't have any hobbies or interests. You weren't granted that freedom to be able to explore what you liked and what you didn't like. So you missed certain developmental milestones and you feel behind from your peers who did have that time to grow and develop and learn what hobbies they like, what subjects in school they like, what they wanted to do from work. So instead, you were focused on staying safe and making sure everyone around you was safe. Yeah. You mentioned this at the beginning, right? Like feeling like you're behind in life. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is all part of it. Like you're, you feel like you're behind in life. As we mentioned, there were so many reasons that you had to kind of not focus on yourself and what your needs actually were because you were dependent on survival. Yeah. So we're going to talk about how to heal the stuff and in, in, in later, but, but yeah, this is just a great point, which brings me to the next one which is like deep-rooted feelings of shame. So often parentified children feel like there's something innately wrong with them. They feel like something is just off, you know, because they can't really fully be themselves. So they develop low self-esteem 
They have a loss of identity. They have a hard time really making choices for themselves, understanding their interests because they're constantly focused on others. And I think that can also tie in with emotional immaturity in a way that's obviously not at your own fault, but you really struggle to identify not only what your identity is, but what you're feeling, why you're feeling it and, you know, where it's coming from and what you do feel is that shame. That's a big one. And this is actually going back to talking about the sibling who might be experiencing a mental health issue or a physical health issue that a lot of the focus is. I see also this in my therapy practice a lot where guilt and shame are the core emotion of the sibling because they feel like they could have done things differently or they feel like they always have to be perfect. And when they're not perfect, something, you know, it's not fair to the people around them. So they have that low self-esteem because they're consistently trying to prove themselves for other people instead of just living for themselves almost. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, and the, to go back what you said about um, not really being able to identify their own emotions or feelings. They were never taught to identify and name emotions and feelings. So a lot of people end up with what we call alexithymia, which is pretty much a disconnection from your emotions. So you have a difficult time even naming whatever emotion that you're feeling. You don't really know the difference. So it's like going back to basics and teaching a child what happiness is, what sadness is, what anger is, because to you, it might not make sense. Like they all kind of mush together or don't feel them at all. Right. And that's why a therapist will often ask you where you feel that in your body to help ground you back into what you're feeling and then identify it for later use, of course. Um, Another personality trait uh, would be people pleasing. I think this is a huge one. It is the fawn trauma response. It's when you feel like you have to walk on eggshells and please everyone around you. And this can happen as a result of an extremely unstable or abusive environment. So you always had to make sure what your, you always have to make sure you knew what your next move was. Um, Maybe you developed anxiety because one day things were hot, one day things were cold. So you were always nervous about what personality you were getting. So you always had this need to please, to make sure things were okay. And everybody was happy once again. Um, And also that makes you fall into like that caregiver role, whether it's in your personal relationships or romantic relationships, you feel like you always need to please and take care of the people around you. Yeah. And, you know, go listen to our fight, fight, flight, freeze, fawn response episode, because fawn is our fourth trauma response. And there is a reason why we go into this. So a lot of people think, you know, stopping people pleasing is as simple as just stopping people pleasing. But to somebody who was parentified, it can feel like it's tearing your whole life apart because you had to do it for survival. It's like telling you to take off your safety net, telling you to take off your flotation device when you haven't learned how to swim. So Mm. it's really, really important to, you know, be very gentle with yourself if you call yourself a people pleaser and not say, well, this is just like this. I just need to stop it. I just need to set boundaries. I just need to learn how to say no. Yes, we do want to get there, but you also need to validate where this is coming from and validate that this was used for survival. Exactly. That's why it was developed to keep you safe. And I feel like that's something we don't really realize. And that's why we're so harsh on ourselves. Like, well, why, what's wrong with me? Why did I do this? Why couldn't I just do this when I was in that situation and develop this response instead, but you were surviving, whether it makes sense to you now or not at that time, that was the best way your body and your mind thought that you would survive in those circumstances. Yes. So another symptom is you feel like a burden. So you constantly, your whole existence feels like a burden. You constantly walk on eggshells. You struggle to take up space, which kind of links with people pleasing. But this is really more when we're asking for help. Like it can be really difficult for you to ask for help, even for the simplest things. Like if you go get a new job, you might find yourself feeling like you should already know the new job, like the back of your hand on your first day. And you really struggle with going to your peers, your coworkers, your boss and asking for help because you're afraid that that means that you're incompetent and that you might get fired. Yeah. And I think that brings us into the next one of control issues where not only do you not want to ask for help, but you also don't trust other people for that help. And if once again, you're at work and you have a new project or you're at school and you have a project, you don't trust other people to complete those 
tasks and you have a difficult time delegating because you just want to get it done on your own because you only trust yourself. You want to be in control. Absolutely. Um, the next one is you don't have many memories of your childhood or you don't remember being a kid. So very little memories of fun times, friend times. You might remember certain things about caretaking and just being overall like uneasy, but most people actually just report. I don't remember my childhood between this age and this age. That's super interesting. I know yeah. when we experience trauma um, in our childhood, we mostly remember the traumatic experiences, but we don't really remember like the day to day. So I wonder mm -hmm. if that's what this is referring yes. to. Yeah, exactly. It's like the day to day, like they don't really remember, like, what did I play with? What TV shows did I watch? What did my siblings do? What did we, did I have any friends in that neighborhood? Like, I cannot remember those things. Another one is tying your worth to your achievement. So you're a perfectionism, perfectionist. You feel like everything you done do has to be perfect or else something's wrong with you. You really value um, yourself based on what you do for other people. So you have you find self-worth and self-esteem in making sure that, like we said, people pleasing before you're doing things for others. Um, another thing is like, you have a hard time taking breaks. You have a hard time staying still. You feel the consistent need to be productive and to be getting things done. Mm -hmm. You you really, with this one, you also struggle like taking your vacation days at work. You struggle mm -hmm. really pausing and enjoying the moment. You have really like a difficult time with mindfulness and being still. You feel guilty when you're having fun. So as soon as that fun feeling comes in or that joy feeling comes in, you're very quick to like push it away because that feels dangerous. Oh, I feel like that's such a good point that we haven't mentioned in this episode you, you don't really like to let loose and you don't really like to have fun because one, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And two, it's such an unfamiliar feeling that even though the other option is something that might bring you more anxiety, you're just not familiar with this. This doesn't feel safe to you. So your body and your mind is just screaming danger. Exactly. That's it. It's your nervous system screaming yeah. danger because it's not used to it. So it's, it's good that we brought this up on right now because <laughs> it is such an important point. I can't believe we haven't talked about it till now. So um, another one, and this one kind of like shows up later in, in adulthood, it's you might be reluctant to have kids yourself, even if you want them. So um, it often parentified children feel like they've parented already. They feel like they have raised kids. They feel like they have raised their parents, that they have raised their siblings, and they are ready for their empty nest period where they are free of those responsibilities of taking care of others. So they might actually resort to having pets and no pets at all, even in some cases, because they just don't want to take care of anything and they want to feel free of it. Yeah. And that's completely valid. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. So we talked about everything. <laughs> we talked about the symptoms, what it is, why it comes up, what it looks like in childhood, what it looks like in adulthood. Now, how mm -hmm. can we heal from it? So there's a lot of different ways that we can heal from it, right? Obviously, therapy is always going to be an option. That types of therapy depends on what your needs are and what you have accessible what accessibility you have. But I think the first step is always learning more about what you're struggling with. So like listening to this episode is step one, right? Because you're learning about parentification, what it was, how it may have may have shown up for you so that you can take the steps necessary to heal those parts of you. So. Yeah, I think that's super important. And I think like you mentioned, um, different forms of therapy, obviously, if you have accessibility to that, but I think a big form of therapy, which brings us to our next part is like grief therapy and grieving that childhood that you didn't have. And once again, this doesn't have to be done in therapy. It can be like using credible resources to get more psychoeducation on what healthy grief looks like and how to grieve that childhood. And this is a long process and it'll come in waves. It'll be a lot of ups and downs and it's not something that'll entirely go away or that you can fully quote unquote heal from, but it's important to really think about the things that you didn't get to experience and allow yourself to feel like it's sad and unfair that that happened to you. Yes. And you know, one of my favorite quotes about trauma is trauma isn't always just what happens to you. It's what didn't happened to you that you needed. And that when you realize that, 
then you can allow room for that grief and you can allow room for that pain for that younger part of you, that younger version of you that needed to have a childhood that missed out on all of those opportunities. And that's where that grief comes in. So do not skip this step. A lot of people hate grieving because it's painful. It does come in waves. And like you said, and it doesn't ever go away. It's just one of those things that we learn how to live with and we develop more coping skills around. But if you skip this step, you're going to find yourself stuck. So you need to have active like grieving periods. Yeah, I think the opposite of grief is avoidance. And if you're avoiding this big step, it's going to be hard to work on the next ones. I mean, not impossible. Like we have things such as inner child work and reparenting, but I don't think you'll fully be able to get into those experiences without grieving the childhood you wish you had. Absolutely. Which inner child work is, is another really great way to uh, begin healing this. Um, I love internal family systems for this because this teaches you how to work with all of your inner children, because a lot of people have this misconception that they have just one inner child. I guarantee you, you have tons of inner children. You have inner teenagers, you have plenty of adult use all in your system. And a lot of times, you know, we skip that part of really looking back and seeing what we needed and giving that to ourselves. So I really recommend, and there's an amazing book. If you don't have access to therapy, there's a book on, it's an internal family systems book called self-therapy there. It's a book and a workbook. So it teaches you about internal family systems. And then you can go step by step and like kind of learn about your parts. There's also another book called No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz, who is the developer of internal family systems that I would highly recommend that that you read. Because again, there's a lot of shame for parentified children. You might struggle with certain thoughts or feelings that you have. Um, And in the book, he really talks about how all of that is just a lot of parts that come up for you and they're not bad. All of them serve a purpose. And once you can really get to know your internal system and work with those parts, you can begin the healing process and it moves so quick once you really get to that, that point. So highly recommended reads. Good to know. Thank you for that resource. And I think like with that and how it moves so fast and part of inner child work is like, you're never too old to do those things that you didn't get to do. So you want to, you think that maybe you're athletic and you want to explore that join an intramural soccer team, basketball team, tennis team. Not only is it something that's going to be fun for you, maybe a little challenging at first, but then you're also going to make connections, which can be challenging as well, which we didn't talk about too much um, for parentified children. It's like maintaining and keeping friends and, you know, from a young age. So working on different things or experiencing and exploring different things, watch cartoons, eat candy, like so many different things that you can do that you were, that were taken from you at a young age. I really love what you just said about watch cartoons and eat candy, because what did you, what do you not remember from your childhood, right? Like, what do you think you would have wanted to do? Or was there something that you wanted to do that you never got to do? Um, I've had clients go to Walmart and pick up Barbie dolls and Mm -hmm. get like toys, like Polly Pockets and like things that they never got to play with because they weren't allowed to play with them or because they didn't have the time or their parents couldn't. So that is also powerful. Like get the ice cream with extra sprinkles. You don't have to just, you know, get chocolate or vanilla. Like what would a child want to do? The gummy bears, the gummy worms, like go get frozen yogurt and put all that stuff on there. Make it a big rainbow, get it all over your face. Like it's so healing. Yeah. Take yourself to the movie theater, watch a scary movie, take yourself to mini putt or invite other people to do it with you. There's also support groups of people who have experienced parentification. So many options. And I think this can be a fun one, uncomfortable at first, but fun. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Another uh, reparenting work is very important. So reparenting, you didn't have the parents you needed. So your parents were never able to give you what a parent would have given, meaning they weren't able to to comfort you. They weren't able to uh, show up for you, set boundaries for you when you needed them to. So can you do that for yourself and your parts? Are you able to learn like what feeling you're having? And imagine that you're talking to yourself as that parent and set those boundaries for parts of you. So reparenting, we have a whole episode on inner child work and reparenting. Go listen to that if you haven't, because it goes into more detail about that as well. 
I love that episode. A, a huge thing I see also with parentification is people saying, which is kind of the opposite of your last point for when we talked about personality traits, but it's people saying like, I can't wait to have my own kids so that I can parent them in a way that I never got to be parented. And like, absolutely do your thing. That's, you know, your own decision, but try doing, try giving yourself what you weren't given as well. Try exactly. reparenting yourself first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can give that to yourself now. You don't have to wait till you have kids. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what else do we have? We have learning more about yourself. Like we mentioned, I think a big one is learning about emotions and there's such a good resource online. I don't remember the website. It's actually a research study. We'll link it in the description and it's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, 12 different pictures of our bodies and where we feel each emotion in our body based on like a research study to be proven. Um, so it really helps you connect and know, okay, my stomach is hurting. Maybe this means anxiety. And next time my stomach hurts, I can label it as, label it as anxiety right away so that I can become more in touch and more in tune with what I'm feeling as a way to improve on working on what your emotions are and why they're coming up. Uh, also, like once you once you start to know that, know that, once you start to know that and identify like the symptoms that you're feeling in your body and what emotion it's linked to, that's, I think, the better place to start working on boundaries. Mm-hmm. Because once you get to know yourself and how emotions show up for you, then you know when you're having like a tightness in your stomach because you want to say no, but your mind is saying yes because you want to be liked or you want other people to like you know, accept you. So once you can identify those, which is why that could be so helpful for you, then you can say, Oh, I'm feeling that feeling. I know that this means I should probably say no. And you can start working on setting boundaries in those moments. I love that. That's really good. Yeah. So boundary work with other people and also boundary work with yourself. I mean, one of the examples that we said was when you refuse to accept help from other people or, you know, you're super hyper independent. So maybe a boundary you set with yourself is at work. The next time someone asks me if I need support, I'm just going to say yes. And I'm going to prove it to myself that I can trust other people. So I think it's two-sided. It's not only setting boundaries with other people. It's also setting boundaries with yourself and how you're going to improve on those things. Absolutely. Great. So final question that we have for this episode, because there's a lot of people that ask this, like, how do I not do this to my children? How do I make sure my children are not parentified? Do you have any advice for them? Yes, absolutely. This is something I get in my comment section all the time when I talk about parentification. So we definitely have a list. One of the biggest things is making sure you have a support system outside of your children, making sure you have friends, coworkers, a therapist, if that's accessible, that you can talk to about these adult issues. Another thing be to really let kids be kids, making sure they're reaching their milestones, making sure they're having fun. If you notice that they feel like they have this big responsibility, it's okay to notice it and recognize and then pivot and get them to go hang out with their friends, get them to go play outside or do something that's age appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. Another good one is make sure that the chores you're giving them are age appropriate. So it's like, don't just assign tasks because you want to assign tasks or you want to get them off your back. Like, I know it's great to have help, but there are certain things that they should be okay doing and certain things that they should not be okay doing. So um, you can, there's tons of resources online with age appropriate chores. Um, You can ask therapists, you can look at educational websites. There's so many different resources that can help you determine whether or not what your kids are doing is age appropriate. So, yeah, yeah. And another thing is like making sure that you don't depend on your child to be your friend. So there should be a clear distinction between your friendship and the parental child role. There is a difference. There are boundaries that are different. There are topics we don't discuss with children. If you do share emotion with your child, which I think is extremely healthy to express emotion with your child and show them the wide range of emotions that all humans experience make it an educational um, thing as well. So show them how you process through those emotions, explain to them what happens when you feel those emotions, like teach it rather than just do it and make sure they understand that you don't, that they don't need to fix it. Yes. 
Exactly. I think a big thing is mirroring proper behaviors. Like, like, like Micheline said, whether it's mirroring how to work through and process your emotions, mirroring, if you make a mistake, you apologize. You don't put that responsibility on your child. You mirror independence, like similar with what we've been mentioning before, obviously not hyper-independence, but the ability to do certain things on your own and not have to become dependent on people around you in a way that's unhealthy because there is a level of dependence that is healthy. Um, But just make... I don't want it to sound like we're asking you to be robots to your children. You can go in the car, blast music, have a good time. But at the end of the day, you want to remember that you are the parent and the most that they're going to learn about behaviors and what's right and what's wrong is from you. So just trying your hardest to mirror those healthy behaviors. Yes, exactly. I love that you mentioned the apologizing. A lot of parents really struggle with apologizing to their kids or taking accountability when they make a mistake because they almost want to seem like this heroic superhuman in front of their children. And I want to say that that is not healthy. It is extremely healthy to show your children that you make sense that um, make mistakes. It is extremely healthy to show them how you handle those mistakes. That is how they learn that it becomes a teachable moment and then they don't feel that much pressure to be perfect all the time. Exactly. I think that's it. Is there anything else you would add on? I think we covered a lot. I'm sure people are going to have questions about this. There's so much to cover on this topic. We could talk for hours. So if you do have a question about this, if you do want us to elaborate on something, feel free to, to drop it under the comments on one of our videos or, you know, respond to it on Spotify because we can definitely, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll add in this episode, like a little area. Do you have additional questions? And you can type it in. If you go, if you listen on Spotify, you can type it in. And that way we can take those and either answer them on some stories on our Instagram, or maybe we can create a whole new podcast episode to go deeper into the subject, right? Which I'm sure we can. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, this episode's pretty long and it's because there's so much to say about it. So, um, but yeah. So I hope you all learned something from this episode. I hope you found it helpful. Again, we promised we'd link uh, certain things in the show notes. We'll make sure to link the episodes that you all, uh, that we referenced in this episode as well. That way they're easily accessible for you all. And um, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family and remember to leave us a review. We love reading your comments. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to along with your thoughts and share it to your story and tag us so we can reshare it to our story. And be sure to follow us on social media at mind.fully.healing on Instagram at mindfullyhealing on YouTube and on TikTok at mindfully.healing. Until next time. Thank you.